Buildings on Air with Kiefer Dunn on London Radio. Hello and welcome to this January 2021 episode of Buildings on Air. Buildings on Air is, of course, the show where we talk about architecture, left politics, uh, mostly together, sometimes more of one and less of the other. Uh, but I'm your host, Kiefer Dunn, and I'm absolutely delighted to be with you here today. Of course, uh, we've been on our intermittent posting schedule because, you know, uh, lots of stuff going on in the world. Uh, but uh, I'm really happy to be here today uh, with friend of the show, returning guest, uh, Douglas Spencer. Uh, Doug, how are you doing? I'm good. Hey, Kiefer, how are you doing? I'm doing well, yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny because I was, I was trying to remember, think back to like when you were on the show last, and it was all the way back in 2017, episode eight, wow. which feels like a complete and total lifetime ago. <laughs> but uh, yeah. same here. <laughs> it's like it's uh that was that was such a good conversation um and and we've gotten to know each other quite a bit since then uh, and yeah i'm really happy to have you on the show uh, uh doug for listeners who don't know is an associate professor and director of graduate education uh at the iowa state university department of architecture um and the last time you're on the show we talked about your last book uh the architecture of neoliberalism um and now uh you're kind of here well we're just here to, to chat about architecture and love politics uh but incidentally yeah. uh, you also do have a, a book coming up uh published by Burkhauser called the critique of architecture um that will be getting released sometime in january 2021 um so shortly yes. after the show airs um yeah. yeah yeah so i'm I'm here to plug my book again which i will do every three or four years yeah yeah well you know uh I, I, obviously as a show that covers left politics and architecture we, we we're extra discerning about what plugs we we allow and this is this is certainly worth okay it. <laughs> so, so uh, you know i've, I've had i've had a, a sneak preview uh at the book um and it's it's such an important contribution um to the discourse, so I, I really hope people read it, um, and I'm and I'm excited to chat a little bit about some of the themes in the book um, today. Um, and I figure we can start good as place as any with with the title uh, "Critique of Architecture." Uh, you know, so I, I mean, I think sure. that for lots of um, like like students or people who are familiar with architecture or academy or history and theory. Um, there is a kind of emphasis on like critical theory or, or, or criticism yeah. or, or critical approaches. Yeah. Um, and this book um, in some way um, it, it de departs from that, um, but by, by offering a critique of architecture, I mean, that sounds very paradoxical in some ways, but um, yeah, like I'm, I'm wondering if you could just unwrap that for us a little bit. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do my best to do that. Um, so firstly, yeah, I acknowledge what you say that there is not only in architecture, but, you know, across the humanities and probably beyond that, an emphasis on what's uh, kind of generically known as critical thinking. And we're all told we should be practiced and uh, have the, the skills to to exercise our critical capacities. And, and I suppose when I talk about critique and it's there in, in the title, as you say, critique of architecture, I'm perhaps thinking of something more specific and with a very particular history, which is to be distinguished from criticism. Uh, and, and so critique comes out of this lineage of German philosophy. So Kant, Hegel, Marx, most importantly, where that critique is a, a social critique and then through um, people like Theodore Adorno, uh, Walter Benjamin, uh, associated with the Frankfurt School, and onwards from there. Um, I I think I should say something as well about where we are uh, in history, a more kind of recent history of architectural discourse, and and that is as I say at the start of this book in the introductory chapter, that we're around 
20 years into what started off as the post-critical. So a movement coming principally from the kind of coastal and, and Ivy League uh, architectural bases in the US, but also from places like the Architectural Association, where I used to work in, in London, uh, which was challenging what had grown out of the, the 1960s and the descent around the 60s, which was bringing in to architectural discourse ideas from anthropology, from Marxism, uh, from psychology, uh, from theories of colonialism, which are, of course, very topical now again. Um, so the kind of movement away from that and one that, uh, you know, kind of tried to embrace the market, sometimes under cover of the fact that this could be a kind of like a jujitsu radical move. Uh, and, and in a way, a lot of what my previous book, The Architecture of Neoliberalism, is, is about is is challenging that but as i say that the position we're in now is we're, we're kind of 20 years into this and where people perhaps don't talk about post-criticality that that has evolved into things like uh object oriented ontology so the idea that we don't just see things from a human perspective but we give kind of equal weight at least to the perspective of objects um to things like actor network theory that come out of disciplines like sociology, to some extent, and anthropology, um, uh, affect theory. So the idea that we don't think and interpret, we should just feel. So, so, so we're, we're kind of 20 years into that discourse, but still there are people writing in architectural discourse that critique is the big enemy that we have to kind of get rid of. So it's a kind of curious position as um, David Cunningham, a friend, colleague, my PhD supervisor uh, who wrote the foreword for this book says that the people who are against critique always present themselves as a kind of plucky David fighting the Goliath of critique. But it's 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 if it's anything, it's the other way around. And there's also this argument that that you have to kind of put up with if you're trying to be critical, which is saying that you're being kind of aloof and overly intellectual and at its crudest that you're kind of spoiling people's good times. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that we still need critique. But what I'm trying to, to contribute is saying this is this can't just be going back to what we, you know, those of us who practice critical theory know and love about critical theory, but critique itself has to evolve um, and develop its skills, develop its own praxis. And it, and it does that as well in relation to its opposition. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, I love the the jujitsu metaphor because I, I think uh, especially in reference to architecture and the way that lots of architects pick up these kind of post structuralist theories, they they imbue them with a kind of like faux anti capitalism that says if you kind of have like the right ideas about these things, uh, like you know, or 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 kind of are, are, are so smart, then like you know you can really. Uh, sort of, yeah, like jujitsu your way around capitalism or, or like, you know, insert some secret anti-capitalism into kind of some kind of projective project. Um, and I think the, the book does a really good job of kind of criticizing that, but, but it also makes me just think about like Dwight Schrute, you know, in some ways. And like, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, these kind of uh, archetypal, like, you know, uh, fake jujitsu masters like that we see, see in my yeah. round all the time in like TV and movies. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I, I think um, architecture is, I mean, well, architect here's my dumb sentence of the interview. Architecture is a really interesting subject, right? Um, you know, yeah. but, uh, you know all, all of these issues, um, uh, they, they kind of reflect, you know, as, as you're, as you're mentioning, like bigger philosophical discourses, 
um, and sort of things that, that sort of are happening across the humanities. Um, so, you know, what, what is it about architecture for you that makes um, sort of, I don't know, the, the practice, the discipline, um, a, like a particularly poignant and interesting uh, place to kind of uh, look and, and focus that critique? Yeah, well, that that's interesting uh, in itself as a, as a question because, uh, you know, originally I, I studied uh, history of art, history of design and film studies and somehow I ended up focusing on architecture uh, and I, I write about landscape as well, which is hardly disconnected from it. Um, and I just think it's the, the very short answer is because you're always in the built environment uh, to some degree or other. It, it's kind of inescapable. Uh, but to me, in terms of how it's how, how, excuse me, how it's related to capitalism is from from start to, to finish, really, and everything thereafter uh, in in the commissioning of architecture, in the kind of work, for example, of urban regeneration in which architecture is, is called upon uh, to, to, to service in some way, um, right through to the, all the kind of financial wranglings that go on in an architectural project and the calculations, and then in its construction, as well and in then what you end up with which is a a structure which makes some sort of phenomenal impression upon people uh consciously or somewhere in the background of consciousness uh and also to some degree structures uh you know how you move around that space i mean how you you can or cannot associate with other people, what you can and cannot do in a particular space or, or a series of spaces. So it's both kind of crudely and obviously economic and therefore related to capitalism in some ways. And then in, in the other way that I'm perhaps a bit more interested in is it kind of shapes to some degree who we are, uh, how we experience our world and, and how we relate to one another uh, in ways which are ultimately and, and typically in the service of capitalism. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about this, this book, um, especially um, kind of relative to like the terrain of, of architecture theory as it kind of currently exists is um you know, if, if, if there's something that kind of connects the, the essays in, in the book, it's it's this kind of insistence that, um, <laughs> you know, our, our architecture is not just a, a collection of experiences. Like it is that, and you have to take that seriously, but it's also something that gets sort of built that, that implicates yeah. labor, <laughs> right? Um, and, exactly. uh, and, and I think um, it's kind of amazing, amazing, how much that gets missed in um, uh, works of theory that, that are, especially those that are ostensibly operating within a kind of like expanded, uh, you know, like Marxian framework. Um, and, and I think, I think the book takes that up in a really, in a really interesting way. Um, but Thanks. yeah. Like, and I, and I think it kind of comes back to some of these issues about the kind of like, uh, post-critical crowd, the post-structuralist crowd. Um, and I, you know, I think it, it, it is in uh, David Cunningham's forward. I mean, he, he sort of alludes to the actual sort of negativity of, of the post-critical crew, right? Uh, yeah. And, um, and I'm, I'm curious if you can kind of expand on that because it, it seems like a little bit counterintuitive as you've kind of argued, uh, like uh, oftentimes, um, yeah, the, the, the sort of post-critical uh, crowd is, is saying, you know, well, like, let, let us have our fun. Like, let us let us yeah. you know, engage in a projective sort of positive pro project um, and and anything else is negative. But but there's something you, you take an opposite tact. 
Yeah, I, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always something kind of uh, paradoxical or contradictory about people saying you can't say no, uh, which is, a, you know, at, at root the, the kind of strategy of uh, post-critical discourse. I mean, I, I would just emphasise again that, you know, perhaps no one wants to use that term anymore, but people are still attacking critique and attacking criticality um but yeah uh you know no, uh and equal to that i don't see anything wrong with being negative it's to me it, it, the issue is about owning up to what you're doing and what what your strategy is uh and really the, the kind of negative part in not allowing anyone to be critical is uh not allowing a voice to the naysayers and I, I think also to return to that earlier question you had to me about what I actually mean by critique in this sense and the, you know, how it bears upon the historical moment we're in right now, uh, is that while you have people often in, you know, very good positions as the head of architectural practices or in, um, Ivy League universities complaining about criticality. Uh, what we've actually seen in recent years, um, you know, perhaps over the last seven or eight years, especially in the last 12 months, is a whole load of uh, people of different constituencies rightly saying, well, you know, what about the exploitation of labor in architecture? What about um, the, the the kind of uh, the whiteness of the the curriculum the, the maleness of it um so there's all these things that have grown up which are not really in the strictly speaking in that kind of critical theory tradition but but which are about perhaps more immediate and pressing concerns about uh you know where the materials through which architecture is constructed are coming from and are, are, are taken from about how uh, labor in architecture is exploited about the conditions of architectural construction uh, in terms of the architectural canon in academia and, and what's taught and from whose perspective. And if, if you're going to say that all criticality is kind of off the cards and we, we want to just see things from the perspective of the object and we don't want to interpret things and we just want to feel things, then you're you're disavowing, you're disallowing those voices. Um, but you know, thank, thankfully they're not they're not being silenced. Um, yeah. When and yeah, and I mean I I think um, one of the things that I appreciate about the book is is kind of like <laughs> How, how no nonsense it is, right? Like um, in, in some ways, um, you know, I think, you know, Deleuze, the, Deleuze and Guattari, the, the, the philosopher yeah. kind of come, come in for particular criticism here. And yeah, I, I mean, you know, they, these are folks who really emphasize like uh, the supposed sort of like rad radical potentials of like, you know, mobility, like emergence sort of. Like, yeah spontaneity um and you know i think it's 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 funny how that often gets rendered as as radical and i think one of the one of the things that your book does is just sort of straightforwardly say uh like you know that 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 is not in opposition to like neoliberal capitalism at all right right exactly yeah of like 2020 that's kind of incredibly obvious uh you, you know there's also something in, in the introduction where you kind of Say like this book takes a materialist point of view, uh, you know, and and that means that we, you know, have to look at the process of how buildings get, uh, you know, design like commissioned, <laughs> like design, yep. uh, built, and like how they operate in the world, and it's it's, exactly. it's kind of really stunning, um, you know, how uh, there can be these kinds of vulgar materialisms. That 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 try to do something less less straightforward than that somehow. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and and I and I think that I mean I, to me there's kind of two things 
here that uh, that I that I I'm, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about. I mean, on, on the one hand, I think a lot of that comes from both thinking thinking about academia as a job market and the kind of perpetual push for like newness or to like you know define a kind of like territory of expertise. So you end yeah. up. Kind of like spinning off into all kinds of directions. And so I, I'm curious for your thoughts on that, but but also maybe in reference to, to how you work, because you're you're kind of operating not uncritically, but but within a kind of intellectual tradition or, or, or lineage, yeah. um, which seems kind of maybe maybe counter to that like relentless search for novelty. <laughs> yeah, well I I hope so. So yeah, I mean the the search for novelty in academia is is well it's like the currency of uh or through which one can get tenure isn't it um uh you know who's going to publish your 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 paper or allow you to speak at a conference if your premise is that i know these things have been said before but they're really important so i'm going to say them again uh so you know, sometimes, but not always, that that search for novelty is is only a matter of novelty. And uh, you know, I, I think on the one hand, things should be pushed. You know, I believe in the in the dialectic, even if it's a negative dialectic, that that things change and evolve through uh, sometimes through contradiction and through a dynamic relationship, but. Um, you know, simply latching onto things because of their novelty uh, is is not terribly useful in the larger scheme of things. And I, I think that academia is deliberately structured that way. Um, by far, uh, from the only person who recognises that's not a, a special insight of mine. But you know, it's the whole structure of academia is is designed to keep you kind of competitive with everyone else who's trying to say something new and to be territorial about your own area of research and jealous of that and and, and to guard it uh and i'm in a kind of relatively privileged position of of having tenure where i'm not quite so subject to those demands um so i hope in one sense that there is something new about what I'm saying, but I'm not trying to say it for the sake of novelty. Uh, as, as I said, I'm, I'm just trying to pick up on the tradition of critical theory. And I think on, on the one hand, how the, some of the developments in that can help us understand architecture, but also, you know, what I would really hope for is that it allows looking at architecture allows us to test some of the ideas that critical theory might have which can otherwise kind of appear in in the abstract you know when you when you look back at um figures like walter benjamin they are you know and they always get brought up in discussions about architecture and architectural history and theory and, and criticality apart from anything else because you have like perhaps the most renowned critical theorist ever. And he's writing about architecture in some sense, at least, you know, he's writing about the arcades of Paris. He's writing about Haussmann's transformation of, of Paris in the latter part of the, the 19th century. Um, but that's not just he's interested in architecture. That's how he's interested in how capitalism is, is moving and developing. And he's interested in how you can understand that. Um, so that's that's really how I understand my own work is not to um, just try and pick on one narrowish area and and kind of colonize that. And I'm very very keen to work with other people in developing ideas and, and perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on, on this question of of, of lineage, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think uh, the the figure of Manfredo Tafori sort of looms large in the sure um and you know uh i frequent listeners will know uh you know that 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 i'm i'm quite the fan of uh uh mr tafori um and you know and i'm I, and i think 
in some ways, like his writing is very difficult. Like there's no, there's no bones mm-hmm. about that, you know? Um, and, and it's sort of like of, of a time and a historical context, but some of the principles that, that he's arguing are really important for, I think, uh, art architects and, um, students and really any, any cultural producer to kind of understand, um, you know, his, his most famous book, uh, is architecture and utopia. Um, you know, many, many important essays. I'd be happy to recommend them. Yes. Add us on Twitter at BLDGS on there. But, you know, I, I think Tafori's project is really one of, um, yeah, like trying not, not just only to understand the relationship of, of architecture and capital, broadly speaking, but really to like understand how architecture is uh, advancing what, what he would call the plan of capital, right? Um, yeah. Which in some ways is, the welfare state, uh, the kind of welfare state of Europe, um, which to his mind uh, was was basically a kind of compromise to prevent anything more radical from happening, <laughs> right? So yes. we'll give you yeah. social housing if you don't sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, go on a general strike. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. that's, that's reductive, but in, in, in some senses, that's that's the kind of idea of, of the plan of power. Yeah, it's, it's architectural revolution writ large, right. isn't it? Right, yeah. right, exactly. And, and you know, it's it's interesting to think about the architect as a, as a kind of figure in that, because, you know, at the time of Tafori's writing in, in, in the 50s and the 60s, you know, really, like, architects are... Um, kind of like they, they have a lot of cachet in how the plan of capital gets yeah. deployed. And, and in a lot of ways, they are kind of some of the chief managers of, of that plan um, and, and kind of, you know, how, how welfare state as a kind of uh, pacifying uh, inst- set of institutions becomes operationalized and, and instantiated in the space of the city. And, um, you know, in some ways, we're, we're well beyond that now. Uh, yeah. you know, the welfare state has been kind of sy- systemically uh, dismantled. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really because, cu- you know, um, I'm really curious how you relate to Tafori because, you know, there's kind of been a conversation about like you know, neo-Tafarianism. Uh, yeah. And, and, and this is, if, if, if I had to like, you know, say what, what I am, what my politics are in relation to architecture. Yeah. I'm a neo-Tiforian, um, but I'm, I'm curious <laughs> to, like, uh, to hear, hear what that means for you and sort of okay. uh, what, what Tifori as a, as a kind of figure, what some of these ideas, um, what they mean, where they're still relevant, and, and maybe also where they're not. Yeah, like sure. A classic, a classic big uh, unfair buildings on air question. You know, <laughs> Bring it on. It's okay. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, maybe I push. I call myself a neo tafurian as well, but it's, it's only worth using that description if if you've got the neo to add to it. And as you rightly say, he's working in his own particular historical context. But I, you know, and it's more or less the same time that um, Deleuze and Guattari are writing as well. Um, but you know, Deleuze and Guattari are, are writing in that kind of late era just on the on the cusp of the, the turn from welfare to neoliberal capitalism um and so they kind of get caught in uh, affirming all these these notions about flexibility and flow and and smoothness uh that ultimately get taken up as the kind of catchwords of neoliberalism and what I've termed the architecture of neoliberalism, because the whole political economic context changes and Deleuze only kind of catches up with that late on uh, in, in one of his, his last essays. I think what Tafuri st- still has to, to offer us is is one that especially I, I think in uh, architecture and utopia is the notion that while imagining that they are architects, while imagining that they are doing something progressive and something they might even describe as as avant-garde are actually only acculturating so accustoming habituating the subjects of capital to its imperatives so it's a kind of training school 
you know, for, for living with and living in the conditions that capitalism presents you with, perhaps by making them aesthetically attractive. Um, and, and I think that that critique still has some bearing because, the, you know, the post, you know, the merchants of post-criticality, um, you know, the, the ones who are explicit about that, like uh, Patrick Schumacher, of Zaha Hadid Architects, you know, describes what he's doing or has described what he's doing as, a, as an avant-garde project. But Tafuri already has that critique of the avant-garde. The 60s was already a neo-avant-garde. Um, so he has a kind of critique of the avant-garde. He has a critique of the notion that the most advanced forms of architectural design and production and discourse uh, can be in themselves radical because you know on the basis that they're kind of formally radical i think that uh, that critique that he has is really important to me in in practically everything i write um is thinking about okay so how does this landscape or urban development or architectural project acculturate or try to acculturate and habituate the subject to a particular way of living, a particular way of operating. I think the the other aspect of Tafuri, the um, I think the reason why he's still, a, or I'll put it this way, I think the reason why he's still interesting is because is he's still contentious, because one of his, his well-known formulations, and I won't be able to quote it word for word, but it goes along the lines of, you, you can't have a critical architecture. Uh, you can only have a class critique of architecture, uh, which which is also connected to the notion, which is quite blunt, really, which, which says you can't kind of design your way out of capitalism. That okay. you have to, you have to have other conditions relevant. Now that's that's a real affront to even some of the most. Um, radical in other ways and, and progressive architects uh, and to a general sort of architectural mentality that really kind of prizes this notion that there's this thing called the architectural imagination that architects are either kind of inherently gifted with or, or, or are endowed with through their training that puts them in a special position to imagine the future better than anyone else can. Um, so I I think just to, I mean, and then to go back to the title of the book, uh, is, yeah, critique of architecture, that's laying the cards on the table. It's not saying this is how architecture could improve society. There is no point at which I offer a recipe for doing that. Because <laughs> ultimately I will, you know, come down to that Tafurian position which is that is that is something that architects need to kind of radically disillusion themselves of uh, as, as far as I can see. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean that I'm opposed to that I'm kind of all or nothing, uh, you know, revolution or, or death. Um, I, I, I do believe in reform where it may, makes a kind of meaningful uh, contribution to people's mysterious material circumstances or even their mysterious circumstances uh, no to their their material material circumstances you know in terms of shelter and you know like the modernist project you know provide people with hygienic places to live you know it's not it's not the worst thing in the world compared to the alternative at the time which is living in a slum and dying prematurely um but you know i so I think that architects can realistically engage with projects of reform, but this kind of overarching and overreaching notion of being the people who are specially privileged to make the world over is is fundamentally misguided and largely kind of self-deluding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> very much, very much in line with the show. You know, I, I mean, I think. Uh, in the, 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 the official description of the show says we have a healthy dose of suspicion about the power of architecture. And that's very, very yeah. much from a similar place. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I think um, that, that line from Defori is so, is so critical uh, just because, you know, 
I, I mean, I think a lot of architects are somehow like, you know, there's this kind of like line that gets attributed to like Steinbeck and like so many other people, which is, you know, the reason why the, the U.S. never became socialist is because it's a nation of temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Like, uh, yeah. And, and when I think about that in, in reference to architecture, it's somehow like even uh, worse. It's it's that it's a profession <laughs> of like temporarily abandoned, temporarily embarrassed like managers <laughs> of the welfare state. Yes. All the time like in, in schools, which is, you know, uh, students really um, are often given briefs that are, are kind of aimed at the social good, um, which I which I do think is important to kind of like put have that that the, the kind of values like put put out there in some way. Um, but, you know, it, really, I mean, it's going to take a political movement much bigger than architecture, much bigger than what any architect is capable of doing uh, on, on their own or even, even collectively as a profession to kind of make sure that society devotes resources to, to you know, projects that meaningfully work towards the social yeah. good, you know? Um, I think this is something... Exactly. Uh, your old pals, uh, uh, Ricardo Rubio, Will Orr, when they, when they were on the show... Uh, a couple episodes ago, you know, they kind of made an interesting point towards the end about how, you know, because capital's rate of profit, and this is maybe a little bit jargony, but but because capital's like global rate of profit has has declined over yeah. the last several decades, um, mm-hmm. the fight for reforms almost like uh, and, and for almost like the the bare bones of a welfare state means that you are directly you know uh, cutting into the sort of bottom line uh, of, of the capitalist class. That, that's a little bit reductive, but it, 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 in some ways that, that to me feels like an important, uh, an important uh, aspect of the neo part of neo Tiforianism, right? Which is uh, yes. you know, that, that it, you know, we're really in a kind of like, uh, uh, you know, at, at the end of like a, a, a knockdown drag out sort of like, bar fight for basic dignity and an ability to, to, you know, live, live somehow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as a, as a kind of side note to that, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff I've been reading recently, like a, a fantastic book by Joshua Clover called Riot Strike Riot. Uh, and a recent essay by the end notes collective, uh, and the EndNotes Collective essay actually kind of draws, has a series of graphs which show like the declining rate of profit. Um, and there's a declining rate of strikes as well. Um, and uh, an uptick in riot, um, which is not insignificant. And, you know, it might also be seen that in the era that Tafuri is writing in, and you know, even before that, in the heyday of the uh, the welfare state, or you know, certainly pre neoliberalism, fully fledged, that the the strike and the the kind of confrontation between workers and management is actually, in some sense, a means of making capitalism even more efficient because it kind of keeps everyone happy. Uh, but yeah, it takes on a com- completely different hue if it's uh if we're talking about you know we just want to get paid something uh we need to live somewhere uh and all these demands which are presented as extremely radical but uh, you know just sort of basic demands to to be allowed to live at at, a route that we're that we're seeing now yeah yeah for sure but and you know i think um to change subject just just a little bit. I mean, I think one of the things that I, is refreshing about um, your writing is is that you're able to kind of like move move between these these philosophical ideas and and um, frameworks and talk about like actual buildings, you know? Because uh, I think oftentimes, uh, you know, in a in a lot of architecture theory and history. Um, somehow the architecture is absent, <laughs> which, uh, you know, yeah. architecture history in theory at that point. But, you know, I, I, I think you, you really do sort of speak about these things really in, in not, not in every essay, but, but in, in, in a fair number of them. 
sort of by 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 kind of carefully reading the built environment and and talking about about buildings. So like I, I'm I'm curious like what your approach is to to that. Like you know, um, you know that that might just help some of our listeners. Yeah. Like, they're reading, build, looking at a building and trying to kind of unpack it or understand it um, to maybe hear how, how you do it. And, and, you know, again, classic uh, buildings on air, unfair questions. The, the book is sort of meticulously well-researched. So, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't happen on a whim, of course, uh, or, or, or quickly even. Um, but yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, my, my great honour at the Architectural Association was to be known as the history and theory tutor who who spoke about buildings, um, which I, I was quite shocked to hear that was rare. Um, yeah, because I guess if you're coming from inside architecture, you're thinking, oh, isn't it really interesting to find out about phenomenology and psychology? Uh, and to me, it's, it's like, okay, well, what, what can I do with this kind of theoretical apparatus that I have? I mean, the way I I work is, is um, you know, perhaps just just simple things, really. That, uh, I'm give away all my, my greatest secrets here, but they're, they're, <laughs> there's nothing special about it, really. It was just like keep an eye on things like Dazeem, um, on Twitter, see what people are tweeting about, seeing what what projects are coming up, um, but then try and find out more about them. Um, so that often means just like you know vis- visiting the sites. Or I'll, I'll give you one example of I, I write about a, uh, a project in in Portugal uh, in in Lisbon uh, and. It's uh, one of these kind of art, architecture, media complex type projects. Um, And it was presented as, you know, regenerating the city and providing an open platform for people to cross thresholds and come together and meet with one another. And I just thought, well, what would be the opposite of that? That would be like the call center where everyone is confined in cubicles. and I wonder if they have those in Lisbon, which they do. Um, and there have been ongoing protests there, uh, you know, for the best part of the last 10 years, I think, especially since Portugal's own sort of neoliberal reconstruction plan. Um, so I kind of looked at the contrast between those two things. So the the, the conditions of segregation and exploitation and the precarious conditions people are uh, employed in the call center which is also a design space just a very badly designed space from the perspective of the people who work in it versus the this uh, building the, the mat m-a-a-t building in lisbon um which is meant to be you know this happy space of celebrating everyone's freedom of movement and and community um and also found out that the same people who who sponsored this, like one of the main energy companies in in Portugal, the same people who sponsored the project, are also one of the main uh, corporations that employ people in um, the call centres on short term contracts. So nicely you get you end up i kind of stuck with that because it's it's a project where you end up being able to trace it to you know capitalism in a very direct way but how it has these kind of two faces of you know one which is about a very old-fashioned uh long-standing exploitation of labor uh and on the other hand having that capacity to to present an outward public image which is much more uh kind of affirmative and generous it's like the illusion of neoliberalism versus versus its reality <laughs> right yeah well, the reality where you have the 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 freedom the freedom to choose any precarious job you wish <laughs> yeah yeah and if, if you're lucky <laughs> yeah 
Um, yeah, although, you know, and it's kind of in, in terms of architecture, architecture, and you're asking about, you know, architecture specifically. Yeah, that that's also a way of just understanding the, the kind of prevalence of this, these kind of subtly un, undulating sort of landscape spaces that, that we see in a number of architects work like Smohetta have a real kind of preference for this as well, where the architecture seems to kind of withdraw into the background and becomes uh, almost just like a stage on which this performance of freedom of movement and uh, communication can be presented. Uh, so I think there's there's a kind of direct correlation there between architectural form and the the ideal social forms that are presented to us in neoliberalism. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, that's super interesting. We have like we have ten minutes left, give or take. Um, and so I'm I'm also uh, you know <laughs> always interested in this show in in sort of. Uh, posing the, the what is to be done question, uh, you know, for, for our listeners. Um, and so, you know, I, I think you've, you've kind of hinted at, at, at some things already, but, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm curious what, you know, uh, your, your take on this is, um, you know, what, what, what is to be, what is to be done? <laughs> uh, probably the <laughs> most unfair question I've asked so far, um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> Let me be more specific. I guess you know. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, architects um, and, and listeners to the show, uh, students, creatives, people on the FM dial, um, you know, are, are are maybe just like wondering, like how how to how to engage in in this stuff. Like you know, I I think um, how how it's obvious to you know one's everyday life um, is is maybe there. Um, but you know what? What what do you think comes comes next? Like what what can what can kind of folks do um, in some way? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's an unfair question at all. I mean, it is difficult to answer because um, I, I also just don't want to present myself in the position of someone who has the answers either. But um, I, I do think that you know that critique in itself is is not enough. Um, but I, I would think that it would be useful for uh, practicing architects, people in architectural education, both uh, teachers and students to reflect more soberly on what their capacities are and what their kind of role in the reproduction of capitalism actually is. Right. I think that, you know, the, the world I know is, is education and what I see are the most pressing problems there are, you know, some of them are, are already being addressed and they are about the content and, you know, there, there are great things that have happened this year in really forcing into the, the, the forefront of people's uh, perception the, the issue about the architectural canon and, and what is is taught as you know examples of architecture and, and where we're taking our architectural history and, and theory from I think those those things are really important but but I also think just you know conditions of work I wish people would spend more time just working on the things that are common to all people in education which is this you know the the tenure system, which I've said is like based on, you know, you're in a precarious position until you, you know, while you're earning money for the university, uh, you know, and they're, they're quite happy with that. Um, but they're not going to give you any kind of ongoing guarantee of employment until you do lots of work, which itself is largely unpaid because it will mean writing for peer reviewed journals, which don't pay you on uh, in, in general. So there are great groups like Failed Architecture who try and correct that and offer money, uh, so you know at least some token honorarium to their writers. That that's a great move. But I think yeah, um, kind of struggles within education. Sure. The, if, if we could somehow collectively address things like um, the tenure system, 
I think in in architecture as well, another point to, to press at might be the uh, you know licensing and accreditation, um, what criteria that is is based on. Um, as I say, I think in in architectural practice, uh, I'm definitely not against projects that ultimately achieve uh, some material benefit for a greater number of people. But um, at the same time, I think to come back to the point I mentioned, a kind of a radical disillusionment about the the powers of the architecture as an ideal as an and as an ideal of imagination and utopian thought could do with being uh dispelled sure yeah and I, I mean i think one of the things that's attached to that is is just the kind of uh the way that these i mean it's kind of like the greatest trick of neoliberalism is is that all of these issues present themselves to individuals as sort of choices of individual morality, which, which of course, they're, yeah. they're, right, right. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're not a bad person if you go get a job in corporate architecture to pay your student loans, right? Uh, and yeah. in fact, there's lots of, uh, you know, uh, things you could do politically there because you're still embedded in a, in a kind of process of production. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's exactly. Yeah. When, and then, um, you know, I, I think um, related to that, we, we only have a few minutes left here. I mean, you know, in this show, we, we talk about the architecture lobby quite a bit. And, um, you know, I, I, I know that you recently sort of stepped back from the lobby. Um, I did. And, yeah. And, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just curious to, to, to touch base on that a little bit. And, like, you know, maybe get some of your, your perspective and, and, and thoughts on it. Yeah, well, I, I suppose it would be relate to some of the things that I've I've just mentioned. Um, I think that, you know, I I suppose one of the reasons I, I joined the lobby in the first place is because I was very taken with its uh, foregrounding of labour uh, and of the precarious conditions under which some architectural labour is uh, conducted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I mean, two things in response to that. I don't think it's enough just to talk about labour because uh, labour is not something you can sort of just sort of. It's not like an ingredient you can take out of the whole process of um, building, design, and, and construction, and and its its use. Labour itself is, you know, how labour is undertaken is formed through and by capitalism and its interests and its technologies, including the division of labor, uh, including including the division between intellectual and manual labor. Um, and, and, and so I think these, these things could be better reflected on um, because it, it doesn't seem to me that there is as much reflection on the there's still ultimately privileged class position that architects occupy and the historical position that, uh, yeah, now we're seeing neoliberalism catch up with the middle classes. And, and it, and it's quite right that middle class people should also, because they're, you know, ultimately workers as well should be, uh, addressing and, and resisting, their exploitation, but they don't do it from exactly the same position as uh, someone further down the the hierarchy of class. Um, and that this all comes also comes back to this point I was making about uh, the architectural imagination and right. the 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 assumption or presumption that you have some kind of privileged relationship through your uh, intellectual capacities or your powers of imagination to 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 grasp the world and its and its problems and I, I think you know another issue is that because neoliberalism is so pervasive and as you've just said uh, even if we understand it is turning us into all into entrepreneurs we can't help but do it so even in an organization like the lobby, if it starts to to venture into not just being concerned with conditions of labor, 
but is about things like saying, well, let's have an alternative practice of architectural education. Uh, let's take let's take up design work ourselves. Then that inevitably is going to be taken as an opportunity for people to bolster their own CVs and make themselves more employable. And I don't think there's anything morally wrong with that either. That that's kind of inevitable. But I think there should be more reflection on that and about, you know, I made my own decision about whether that's the way I wanted to go or not. And I don't want to go that way. But again, I would I would acknowledge my own privilege. But I but I think it, do you understand what I'm saying? That it the that the precarious conditions of labour also affect the type of endeavour that the lobby engages with, which is not just about resisting that, but also kind of provides opportunity for people to um, push their own careers. And as I say, I'm not uh, denigrating that at all. It's just kind of symptomatic of our own times. You know, we live in times where people can put activists on their CV and are quite happy to do that, which is just... You know, when I was what I would describe as an activist in the 1880s and 90s, I would never do that. I would never work again if I'd done that. Uh, so, yeah, we live in, in peculiar times where, you know, everything becomes marketable, even your own apparent resistance to the system, um, no matter how much good faith you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, uh, some listeners might know, yeah, like, you know, I've, I, uh, I'm, I'm still a, a dues-paying lobby member. I've largely stepped back. But, you know, I think that in a, in a lot of ways, I think that the, the lobby uh, is, a sp- is a space that's, like, really reflective of the, the broad tensions of, of, of the left wing of architecture broadly defined, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, and... and um, and I think in, in, in some ways that's productive and, and in some ways it's not, you know, um, and I'm, and I really hope that um, many lobby members, many listeners to the show, many people in general, many students will uh, pick up your book. Um, you know, I think as, as you. You say, it doesn't, it doesn't have, uh, have all the answers, but I, but I think it provides some like really um, valuable uh, insights to, to kind of, uh, some of these phenomena and and some of the the sort of um, failings of uh, ostensibly you know scare quotes like le- left wing approaches to architecture. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I I hope that it um, I, I I hope that it not only furthers the debate but but also um, you know uh, brings sort of meaningful meaningful perspective uh, to it that can that can lead somewhere. Um, Thank you, Peter. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's kind of all the time that we have for today. But I'm wondering if there's any any last minute um, anything that uh, I, I've I've left out or a stray thought that you wanted to to put out there on a, on our little humble platform here. No, not really. I I just like to say I really appreciate your engagement with my work, and that was a really enjoyable interview. Yeah, uh, the pleasure was all mine, Doug, and. Uh, yeah, folks, uh, be on the lookout for uh, Critique of Architecture to drop sometime in uh, mid-, mid to late January. Is that right, uh, Doug? I, I think so, yes. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah. published by Mark Hauser, uh, and you can find it uh, online by Googling uh, Doug Spencer Critique of Architecture. Uh, so, Doug, thanks so much, and, um, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Um you know, we'll go for the three. You could be, I think, our first ever uh, three three time. Uh, you okay. Know, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Kiefer. Yeah. Take care. Cheers. This has been Buildings on Air on Lumpen Radio. Buildings on Air is a production of Lumpen Radio, hosted by Kiefer Dunn. Produced by Logan Bay and Jamie Trecker. Visit us on the web at buildingsonair.live. If you want us to answer your questions about buildings on the air, send them via Twitter at BLDGS on air or via email at buildingsonair at 
gmail.com. This show is also available as a podcast on iTunes.